Hey, I have the privilege this morning to introducing to you our teacher for this morning. The Reverend James Ellis III is a chaplain at Hope College. He's one of the chaplain staff there. He, he works in the area of discipleship. Um, you're in for a real treat, but James is a, also a pastor. He's an author. He, he and his wife, Renata, moved here. He'll tell you a little more about his story last uh, August. So he's going through his first winter with us. You know what that's like. Um, but we're delighted to have James, and we've been really fun. It's been really fun to get to know him, and uh, you're, gonna, you're in for a treat this morning. Um, he also, he and his wife recently became members of our church, so they're, they're in. Uh, they're, they're committing to our fellowship, and we're glad for that. Yeah, grateful. Um, and James and I, uh, well, I discovered it. He, he didn't know this, but we have something in common. We both, uh, listen to this distinction. We both were, were elected, I guess, voted on by our respective high school graduating classes, miles apart and years apart, as the class shyest in our classes, right? And, and I know that comes as a great surprise. In fact, this is kind of a nightmare for us right here. This, um, and we, 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 at least I agreed that we didn't have a lot to say back then, but we haven't stopped talking since. But uh, James, is, he's, he's working his own journey out there. But would you join me in welcoming James Ellis III this morning? Thank you, thank you. I uh, am a proud introvert, so any introverts in the house? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, Central, it is uh, good to be with you. I'm grateful uh, for this opportunity. Uh, I told the first service, I think it's a, a great thing when a pastor trusts you with their people, so I don't take uh, this privilege lightly and wanna thank Pastor Craig for uh, giving me this opportunity to be before you. Uh, as Mike said, I am new, my wife and I are new to Western Michigan and new to Central, and so what I thought that I would do, if you guys will give me a little time, is I'm gonna sort of go through some photos to introduce you to uh, my story, my wife and I, and sort of how we got here in the land of Arctic snow and, uh, and whatnot. Does that sound all right? All right. So. I was born in Okinawa, Japan. Uh, that's me, the little chunky kid there on the left. Uh, also me with my sister. Her name is Summer. She's uh, two years older than me. Uh, so I was born in Japan because my father was stationed there in the United States Air Force. Uh, but at the age of four, he was relocated and moved to a base in Maryland. And so that's primarily where I uh, was raised. Uh, this next picture is of my wife and I. So that's Renata. We just celebrated uh, 10 years of wedded bliss this past Friday. Y'all can clap for that. Go ahead and clap. It's uh, a great privilege to be married for a decade. I know for those that have been married for 40 and 50 years, you know, y'all like, hey, y'all just getting started. And I get it. But uh, it's, a, it's a great thing. We're grateful that God has saw fit to sort of help us stay together over uh, these sort of first 10 years. Uh, being an ordained Baptist pastor, my wife Renata and I have moved probably, I'd say, more than our fair bit um, over uh, these years. Um, and it's been good, but it's also been really hard. Uh, basically, this is the first time in our 10 years of marriage that we've been able to choose our own church. Uh, because the other times, you know, I've been sort of serving at different churches, and as it goes, you end up worshiping at the church that, that I'm working at. And so 
Uh, it's a gift and a curse, I guess you could say, but uh, that's been, been our experience. So we're, we're grateful for this time to, on our own, just between us and God, choose a church. And uh, this is what we chose. Praise the Lord. It's uh, during our first three years of marriage, we lived in Texas, the Lone Star State. Any Texans here who have made it to me? All right, all right. Made it all the way here to Michigan. Uh, I finished a master's degree at Baylor University's seminary there. Um, and then we lived in Pittsburgh, uh, which is also known as the City of Bridges because it literally has all these bridges throughout every part of the city um, divided by the Allegheny River. And so we lived there for just one year. I um, was finishing another master's degree at Pittsburgh uh, Theological Seminary. And then after Pittsburgh, we moved to Atlanta for a ministry job for me, lived there for one year. And then after that, we moved to uh, West Virginia. So West Virginia, if you do not know, is uh, really known for all of this uh, Civil War kind of reenactments and, and whatnot, which took some getting used to um, on my part. But we lived there for one year. And then, most recently, we lived in the Washington, D.C., kind of Maryland area uh, for about four years. So. If you're tracking here, that's, that's a, a fair bit of, of moves over a short period of time. Uh, while we lived in Washington, D.C., I pastored an urban congregation there, and Renata continued in her career as a special education teacher and administrator who primarily works with at-risk students who have learning and behavioral challenges. Uh, she's also someone who's very passionate about helping particularly special education students transition uh, into life after high school, uh, whether that's, you know, vocational trades or college for some of them or the workforce. Uh, she's really passionate and, and gifted at, at sort of helping people navigate uh, all the systems that, that are in place or that, that need to be in place. While we were in D.C., uh, given our respective jobs, urban pastor, urban educator, I think we just really got sort of burnt out. Um, just the busyness of our lives, the traffic, the politics, the drama, you name it, uh, we eventually kind of felt like we needed a change and that that change was gonna be somewhere other than DC, although we didn't know exactly what God had in store. So it was that during the second week in July, this past July, my wife and I moved yet again this time here to Holland, Michigan, for me to serve at Hope College as chaplain of discipleship. If you did not know, Hope College, located just down the road, uh, right next to downtown Holland, uh, has about 3,300 students, and it is a Christian liberal arts institution. Although it is a Christian college, uh, you do not have to be a Christian to attend there. Uh, we have a number of students, which is awesome, that are totally in love with Jesus, but we also have a number of students who do not know Jesus at all and maybe are interested in him. And so it's an environment where you, you have the wide spectrum of people, uh, of young people in particular there, that you have the privilege, I have the privilege to minister to. Built in 1929, this picture here, this is Dimnant Chapel. Uh, it seats about 1,100 people, and it's where we hold all of our worship services. Our chapel services are Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 10.30 in the morning until 10.52. So that's 22 minutes exactly. 
We have two opening worship songs and then the speaker comes up and if you're preaching, you get about eight to 10 minutes and you gotta keep it tight because the students will walk out while you're preaching. <laughs> we uh, also have a Sunday evening service called The Gathering, also in Demnant Chapel. Uh, that begins at eight o'clock and we have communion there every week. Uh, it's a fuller service with more music, uh, fuller sermon, that sort of thing. If you've never been to Hope College, to any of the chapel services, I encourage you to visit one day. It's open. You do not have to be a young, hip college student to, to come. Uh, you can be in high school. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's open to the community, and we try to encourage people to come and just check it out. Uh, it's a good, you know, maybe you're on your lunch break or you come a little early during the week, um, or you can come Sunday evenings. I will tell you that it's one of the, the biggest components of what attracted me to Hope when I interviewed uh, last spring to come to a worship service where students voluntarily, because hope you don't have to attend chapel, there's no like, requirement that you have to attend a certain number of chapels during your time. It's, it's so neat to go to chapel and see almost a thousand students, stand in room only, uh, worshiping God because they just want to, because they're interested, because they have a hunger to learn about God. So in my role as chaplain of discipleship, I preach Pretty often, uh, I sort of oversee Bible studies and small groups along with other staff members. Um, yeah, I just pray a lot uh, with students. And it's a good thing. You know, it's, it's neat to have students come to your office and pour out their heart to you, and you get the opportunity to walk through Scripture with them and just pray with them and be uh, sort of an advocate uh, in their life. Renata and I are the aunt and uncle to what we think are the neatest nephews on the globe. Uh, there's uh, Xavier, the six-year-old on the left, where I'm playing cars with him. He really likes cars, and so I get down and, and do that. And then the, the little one on the right is Jackson, and he's, he's a little chunky like, like I was uh, at his age, and uh, we just love being, being aunt and, and uncle. Uh, Renata and I, if I'm honest, don't really probably live the most exciting life. I mean, we don't really do too many jazzy things, I guess you could say, in our spare time, but we do enjoy going bowling. Now, we're not good, <laughs> but we, we just go. It's something we like to do as a couple and try to act like you know, we're imitating the people on TV during those, during those bowling competitions and whatnot. Uh, another thing that I started doing last year is I completed my first obstacle course race. Uh, so that was pretty neat, uh, just to kind of, you know, you climb all these like monkey bar things and dive in water and all this other stuff. Um, I will say that, you know, we, we like living in Holland. It's, it's been great so far. We like being close to the lake. The Lake Michigan is, is not an ocean, so I'm, I'm biased because I'm used to the Atlantic, but it doesn't look like a lake. And so that's pretty neat. Uh, we like to go and just kind of check it out from time to time. Uh, but I will say also that in sort of transitioning here to Michigan, uh, it's been tough just dealing with the sticker shock. Somebody say amen. The sticker shock of uh, the, the good gear that you need to survive um, in these winter climates. You need these big, like, expensive boots, and, you know, you need these coats that are, like, insulated and whatnot. And, I'm not really used to that, nor am I used to the prices. But uh, <laughs> y'all just pray for me and I'll pray for you. It's uh, been a great joy for us to be here. We 
came to Central um, on our first Sunday here, and uh, I'm sure it's no surprise for any of you who are regulars here at Central that there doesn't tend to be a slew of people that look like myself and my wife, uh, our particular uh, persuasion, black folks, um, <laughs> here at Central, and that's okay. Uh, but we came, and our first Sunday uh, was that, that Sunday when we came in July, and we've never left. We've, we've been here every single Sunday since then. Um, and I'll tell you, it's, it's really just because we wanted a church environment where people were kind, they were welcoming, they, they took God seriously, the Bible meant a lot to them, and they wanted to be in community with one another. And so that's been our experience here at Central, and it's, it's why we, we joined. Um, at two predominantly Caucasian churches in the past, I've served as the first person of color to be on staff at those churches. Um, but I've also led in churches that were multiracial um, and also predominantly uh, African-American. So Renata and I are, are pretty well suited and comfortable in the shoes that we have from God. We're comfortable in our own skin. And we really enjoy being in environments where people are willing to sort of extend themselves across lines, particularly lines that tend to sort of divide and conquer uh, the people of God. So I wanna lift up one uh, couple that sort of helped our journey here to Central. That couple is Bill and Lou Mottman. Uh, praise, praise the Lord, there you go, give it up for the, the Mottmans. Uh, our first Sunday here when we visited, uh, I think we came to the first service, and after service, Bill and Lou came and introduced themselves and you know, said, hey, we wanna take you guys to coffee, so we went to the little coffee place uh, you know, over here in the lobby. And uh, they sat and talked with us for a good while and just kind of connected. And we were just so excited that here we were, this new couple who don't know anyone on our first Sunday here. And they took the time to connect with us, to share their story. They were excited about God. Uh, they weren't like weird, like that weird Christian that you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get coffee with you. Um, <laughs> they just had a, a genuine love for God and for, it seemed like they really wanted to know us. And so we, we appreciated that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot more that, that I could say about my life and our story, but, but that's sort of it in a, a visual nutshell. Uh, the last thing I'll add is that I was fortunate to uh, edit a book uh, last year. It's called Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil, Stories about the Challenges of Young Pastors. Uh, it's basically just a collection of first-person essays from pastors under the, 30, under the age of 35, for the most part, who are sort of sharing about their challenges in ministry. Uh, if you do not know, ministry uh, behind the scenes uh, dealing with people is, uh, I'll just say, rough. <laughs> and so uh, this book really just kind of gives testimony to that and you can find it online or what have you. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. Uh, I'm gonna move on to the text. Y'all ready? Yeah. All right. All right, so the, the aim of this series that Pastor Craig has us in, uh, 21 again, is basically just a, a tool to help us launch into the new year uh, in a more dynamic way so that we can set our feet on solid ground individually, but also as a church community. To whatever extent 2016 may or may not have met your expectations, 
it's officially now in the rearview mirror of life. There's nothing you can do to change the past. And I understand, I mean, truly I do, that you know, there's angst and anxiety and, and odd feelings sometimes about maybe things that have happened in the past, in this past year, and you feel uneasy about what may be coming down the pike in 2017. But I want you to know that life is short. Life is short. We are here for but a little while. We are a mist, and tomorrow is not promised for any of us. So my encouragement today is that you and I would live for Christ right now, today, present tense, and that we would partner with God for what he wants to do through our lives to affect the world. I think that uh, last week, Pastor Craig covered uh, the topic of responsible living, so I'm going to tackle the topic of what it means for us to think responsibly. So we're moving from just responsible living to the mindset that goes into being able to live that out. Uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, someone will be happy to, to give you one. You'll see uh, the text that we're going to be in is on page 1176, so you can feel free to follow along. Uh, as the Bibles are being passed out and while those of us uh, are flipping to the pages and getting our smartphones ready uh, for Ephesians 5, let me uh, just sort of remind you, I guess I'll say, that uh, during this sermon, you can feel free to say, amen. Uh, there's, there's no harm in that. There you go. Just practice just now. Uh, there's no harm in that. Uh, in my sort of Baptist tradition, it is not offensive um, or out of line for you to, to talk to me as I'm preaching. Uh, so feel free to do that. And so uh, we're going to start right now by everyone just saying, Amen. Amen. So beginning with verse 15, the instruction in Ephesians 5 is this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I'm going to sort of zero in on verse 16 but I want us to rearrange the text a bit. I, I want us to not look at it as it reads, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I want us to switch it around. And so we'll look at it like this. Because the days are evil, make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil, make the most of every opportunity. And we do that by thinking correctly about a number of things, the first of which is freedom. When thinking about the responsibility to live right, the first thing that I think we as a nation might need to rethink is this idea of freedom. How many of you all know that freedom is not free? Freedom is not free. Here in America, I think that we probably struggle with that concept more than people do elsewhere because we are infatuated with choice. Choice being the prerogative to choose amongst other possibilities. We just can't seem to get enough of choice. Choice loiters at the corner of all of our lives. 
there's reproductive choice. And though seldom indicative of equal access to equal opportunity, in some parts of the country, particularly here in Holland, there's this thing called school choice. Based on a free market structure, our economy is founded on the consumer's ability to choose when, how, and where to acquire goods and services. And then there's technology, technology like, like cable television and cyberspace, where we have the opportunity to choose to stream and to download and to DVR and to surf and to search until our heart is content. So I want to be clear that freedom is a very noble construct. Freedom is a very godly endeavor, but it is also one that is easily mishandled, and it is also one that is easily abused. Freedom is one, not the, so not the exclusive, but freedom is one of our sacred American idols. We believe that we can be whoever we want to be. We believe that we can do whatever we want to do, and we care little about the impact that our decisions and our thinking has on our communities, on our families, on our nation, and on this world. In this land of opportunity, we do not take kindly to discussions about limitations or accountability. And likewise, you might say that even in Christian communities, there's oftentimes a resistance to any sort of notion that there are biblical mandates for holy restraint, that we should not always do what we want to do. We want the blessings of freedom, but we do not want its responsibilities. And I think that all of us are guilty of that kind of thinking at one point or another. Through the years, particularly as a youth pastor and young adult pastor, college pastor at various churches over the, the time that I've been in ministry, I've primarily focused on young people. Um, some of those young people uh, would, would engage in behavior that's, that's really problematic, that's really hazardous to them. They would do things like, like cut themselves, or they would engage in other forms of self injury. Some of the students I've worked with were addicts. Others were criminals. Others were troublemakers in school. Others were reckless with their sexuality, which oftentimes resulted in them having children out of wedlock. For a lot of the young people that I've worked with, life is about YOLO. Y-O-L-O. -O. Have y'all heard that before? YOLO, Y-O-L-O, -O. it's this acronym that stands for you only live once. Ask a young person about it and they can explain it better than I can. But it stands for you, can, you only live once. So it's, it's sort of this carpe diem, seize the day, seize the time, do whatever you want. It breaks our heart to see young people go down that path of, of YOLO doing whatever they want, whenever they want. It, it pains us to see the wreckage of their lives resulting from them having done whatever they wanted to do. On good days, we maybe view them as just young people who have made poor, reckless decisions, and we, we view them with some sense of compassion through a filter 
of naivete and, and pride or just ignorant defiance. We, we say, you know, they just don't know any better. They're, they're young people. That's the compassionate version. But all too often, we have a perspective of young people as a generation of unredeemable rebels. There are times that we think of them as the riffraff, the ones that are doing the bad things. We think of them as the chaff, blowing around in the wind of a standard margin of error because they are disobedient, because they choose to rebel against God. But I think that it's with minds touched by situational amnesia. Y'all say that with me, situational amnesia. We have situational amnesia when we arrive at this mistaken observation, when we have this judgmental take on youth culture, acting as if we have always walked the straight and narrow path. We give them little wiggle room for error, but then we like to bestow all manner of grace and forgiveness and understanding on ourselves. So I wonder, since we're a church family, we're just going to be real honest this morning, I wonder how many of us adults can admit that we are guilty of having made some less than godly decisions in our younger years. That's a good place to say amen. amen. Nobody will know it's you. Just <laughs> say, say amen. And, and even more to the fact, some of those decisions that we made uh, maybe led to other decisions when we became adults. Uh, and some of the stinking thinking that was established in our lives when we were young people led to other disastrous results in our lives as we got older. Some of us who are way, way past the age of 21, I'm talking about like you, it's gone, like you, way past the age of 21, if we were going to be honest this morning, we would have to admit that some of us still in our adult ages act like little kids that are rebellious and that think and behave in misguided, problematic ways. I, for one, vividly remember some of the, the drama that was present in my life at the age of 21. I was uh, having sex. I was not married. I had been academically dismissed from the University of Maryland, which essentially brought an end to me having been accepted as a walk-on football player there. I had decided to follow Christ just one year prior to turning 21, so that at the age of 20, but I needed some help. I needed help trying to figure out the rest. Like, okay, I believe in Jesus now, but what does that mean for my life? How do I engage in some next steps about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Not having been raised in church, not having been raised with Christ in my home at all, never having attended church, never having read the Bible, never having prayed, I needed someone to help me figure some of this stuff out. Even though I believed in God now, I, I trusted him with my life, I didn't know what it meant tangibly to walk in the ways of the Lord. It's easy to connect the dots as to why I'm in college ministry, right? Like, I'm in college ministry because I feel like I want to be for some young college person what I didn't have 17 years ago. I, I wanted someone to be in my life 
to invest in me without trying to make me their pet project. Amen, somebody. I wanted somebody to invest in me without trying to make me their little mini-me. I wanted someone to invest in me without trying to do it out of a spirit of making themselves feel good. I needed someone to be honest, honest about the rigors of a life that is surrendered to God. That just because you love Jesus and you give him your life, that doesn't mean uh, dangers, toils, and snares are going to pass you by. In fact, they're probably going to come your way a little bit more. I needed somebody to communicate God's truth to me. I needed somebody to to live out the faith that they said that they believe. What you believe about God, I I needed them to show me that, to instruct me, to, to give me an example of what it meant to follow Jesus. My work with young people today is really, when it comes down to it, just about trying to to teach them uh, about this long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson coined the phrase, trying to teach them what it means to be a disciplined follower of Jesus in tangible ways. I think that we would all agree that we are required to stand firm on the Word of God. But how we stand on the, on the word of God and what our witness looks like means the world to young people and to the communities that surround us. So this concept of the days being evil may seem to some of us like a no-brainer because we all can testify that in this present age, our world tends to, to call evil good and call good evil. Over and over again, we have this 24-hour news cycle, and you can get online. And so we all know that we're exposed to bloody encounters and trouble where greed and prejudice have been normalized. Our world, we know from this 24-hour news cycle where it's, it's embedded in our brains every five minutes, text messages, on the, on the Internet, just all the time. We know that the world is dark and it's oppressive, we don't have to search for the fact that our world is debilitating and it's dangerous. We, we know that it is a septic tank of man-made calamity. There's oil spills. There's global warming. Almost 4,000 shootings and 800 murders in Chicago last year alone. Man-made. There's mass shootings in Orlando and at Sandy Hook Elementary School, and in Manetta, Virginia, where a reporter and a cameraman were shot to death on camera by a former colleague of theirs. We don't have to go far to hear about the refugee crisis in Aleppo, or uh, girls that are raped and kidnapped by Boko Haram. There's police brutality, there's targeted police shootings, there's sexism, there's sexual violence, there's massive white-collar crime scandals, and on and on and on. We know that the days are evil. But contrary to what we may think, we don't have a monopoly on evil. This is not the most evilest age of humanity's story. Whether you want to go down the the road of discussing the transatlantic slave trade and institutional slavery or the Holocaust or the reign of Hitler or Stalin or Mussolini, or you could talk about the Jim Crow and civil rights era, or maybe it's 9-11, Pearl Harbor, 
the slaughter of people indigenous to this land that we have since claimed for ourselves, whatever it may be, no civilization can claim to be the evilest of all because human beings are inclined to, we are open toward, and we are the ultimate purveyors of evil. Born in sin, shaped in iniquity, we have been this way ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden when we became, because of our foolish indulgence, because of our desire to be independent from God, we became enemies of God, determined to live apart from the one who created us. Thankfully, and this is your chance to say amen as well, because of grace and mercy and God's love, Jesus has become the only source for our redemption, that we can be in right relationship with God. Amen. But this hope that we have in Jesus in these evil days, it reflects a theological and not a chronological thinking about time. Following Adam and Eve's rebellion, humanity's days turned evil, and humanity's days will remain evil in one form or another until Jesus returns, triumphantly returns on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And it's in, in anticipation of that day that we who follow Christ are supposed to pave the way for his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. This means then that for you and I who follow Christ, that we put on the whole armor of God and we, we run towards the culture, we run toward calamity, we run towards the least, the lost, and the lonely. We, we do not disengage and cloister ourselves somewhere in a panic room of faith for safekeeping. In order to keep the problem front and center before those who are struggling with the pains of addiction, Alcoholics Anonymous has a slogan. They have this slogan that goes like this. It's, it's not your drinking, the slogan says, it's your stinking thinking. It's not your drinking, it's your stinking thinking. The idea there is that the, the thinking is what leads to the drinking. So if you can get the thinking right and provide some, some resources around you, then you can, can be someone that's sober and that lives a, a whole life. Stinking thinking leads to unwise living, and it's as uh, easy to apply to faith as it is to an addiction. The second part of thinking responsibly addresses this theme of work. The remaining half of verse 16, if you're sticking with my, my rearrangement of it, it tells us to make the most of every opportunity. And every means every, like all opportunities. In our, our westernized minds, the idea of making the most of every opportunity probably rings bells of some kind of economic imperative. We, we think that, well, maybe the Apostle Paul is suggesting that it's okay if we become worker bees who worship at the altar of the almighty dollar, constantly grinding away to be more productive and more efficient and more significant and more profitable. But that's not the point of this passage at all. And Pastor Craig touched on that 
in his sermon last week. Biblically, to make the most of every opportunity is an appeal to be present and prepared to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be faithful in helping hurting people on God's behalf in God's name, to be someone who can point them to the one who saves. But I got to tell you, being in that posture is only possible if you are someone who chooses to think differently, if you are someone who chooses to rub shoulders with people who do not look like you, to be someone who is okay with engaging in life with people who do not have your same experiences. And that's only possible if we allow God to occupy our thinking. Orthodoxy, which is another way of saying belief or thought, and orthopraxis, which is another way of saying action, must converge. So orthodoxy and orthopraxy must converge if we are ever going to make a difference as Christians. I want to be clear that work is not the problem. I'm not dissing work. We all have to work. If you want to eat, you, you, you got to work, right? So work is not the problem per se, but the problem is how we work and towards what ends do we work. It's our thinking, our stinking thinking about work that's the problem. And this is why sometimes, some of us, we tend to twist Scripture maybe and, and look for ways that it might sanction our dysfunctions. We, we look at Scripture and just like the Apostle Paul in that verse, we, we try to say like, man, maybe, maybe Paul is like trying to tell me it's okay for work to become an idol. But of course, that's not the case in an article in the New Yorker, New Yorker, uh, James Surowiecki wrote this. He wrote that overwork has become a credential of prosperity. Overwork has become a credential of prosperity. And it's the best-selling author and pastor, John C. Maxwell, who also commented similarly on our stinking thinking about work and life. He wrote, people are funny. When they are young, they will spend their health to get wealth. Later, they will gladly pay all they have to try to get their health back. So often, so often, we're so busy working to provide for and to protect ourselves. And we're so busy, so often, working to provide for and to protect our families that actually the opposite happens. On the road to financial security, we damage our bodies, we neglect our families, and we deny our God. Our wife, for example, asks us after work to stop by Meyer, and we freak out. We act like we're being persecuted because we're so tired and we're so caught up in, in work as if like there's nothing else we're created to do. We, we can't remember because we're so busy so often when the last time is that we, we spent time, like real quality time, like time for real, for real, with our kids. And we got down on the floor and played cars, or we watched Blue's Clues, or we watched Veggie Tales, or Daniel Tiger, or I know all the kids' shows because of my nephews. 
You know, when was the last time we actually did those things and, and got into their world? I wonder when the last time was that we, we just put down all the work emails and all that work has for us to do and we had a meaningful conversation with a friend. Like, I'm not multitasking, I'm not mentally thinking about 15 other things that I gotta do after I have the conversation with you, but I'm, I'm, I'm dialed in, spending time with someone who, who means something to me. We think that we are the chief architects of our lives. But when you think that way, it's impossible for God to sort of enter in and to direct your destiny. The days are evil, I know, I get that, but the evil depravity begins within the hearts of each of us individually first. Making the most of every opportunity then is about, it's not about working ourselves to an early grave, because of course that would not please God. It's just about us being available for God's good work in our lives and in the world. And here at Central, at the place that we call home, we need to redeem the time, as some translations say, and responsibly use this great freedom that we have to serve God. Odds are, if you are not living right, then you also are not thinking right. If you are not living right, or anyone is not living right, odds are that they are not thinking right. For those of us who have aged out of young adulthood long ago, for those of us who 21 is a, is a distant memory, we still can be 21 again by responsibly managing the freedoms that we have with God in mind now, no matter the mistakes that we have made in the past, that's what grace does. The first part of verse 17 in Ephesians 5 is another challenge that the Apostle Paul gives to the Ephesian church, and it's a challenge that I think God is giving to us today. It says this very simply, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish. My study of that tells me that this is written in such a way that it means an encouragement to stop and act in process, an encouragement to stop and act in process. Last week, Pastor Craig shared that the requirement for living responsibly is wisdom. And he also said that wisdom is shown through deeds and not thoughts. Centuries ago, esteemed French theologian John Calvin wrote in his voluminous works the Christian Institutes, he wrote that the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. So you get this correlation between what you think and what you do, what you think about God and how that actually gets lived out. The people that the Apostle Paul was, was writing his letter to, the people in Ephesus, evidently were showing a lack of wisdom in how they lived. So that's why Paul says, do not be foolish. Acting foolishly always begins with having uh, foolish thoughts and giving yourself over to those foolish thoughts. So my question for us this morning is how are we acting foolishly, thinking foolishly about the freedoms that God has given us? How are we being foolish with our work and our money, how we spend our time? 
living responsibly in 2017 means that we are going to have to manage our thoughts in a way that reflects who we believe God to be. If anyone is in Christ, anyone means anyone. If anyone is in Christ, we know from 2 Corinthians 5:17, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. It's only when we as Christians become jaded, when we become insular and selfish and full of ourselves, when we, particularly as adults, begin to play redactor with our own sin and act like we've always had our stuff together and we never needed some help, that we lose the culture and that we lose the ability to help one another, but we also lose the ability to impact our neighbors with the love of Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Y'all say that with me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, y'all getting the theme here, all means all. All of us have fallen short. But the great news is that we all have been justified freely by his grace, by God's grace through his redemption in Christ Jesus. Those of us who give our lives to him have a second chance and a third chance and a chance ad infinitum for, for forever. We have this opportunity to reconnect with God, our creator, through Jesus. In 2017, I want to just challenge us to live for God, to live for God and to embrace his call that we live in a holy manner, this, this holy restraint that I mentioned earlier, that we cannot do what we want to do all the time. When we are in that posture, it's, it's only possible through the Spirit. It's only possible through the, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and, here's the kicker, self-control. Self-control. I want you to go home today and think about the current ministries that are offered here at Central. And I want you to think about all the exciting things that are coming down the pike that Pastor Craig uh, spoke about last week. Uh, there's the Playland, there's a new teaching pastor coming, there's all these different projects in the first quarter and second quarter that are, that are gonna be really exciting. And I want you to pray about how you can, can support those efforts, how you can lend your unique gifts and your story and your experiences to those efforts so that we as a church community can be the hands and feet of Jesus, not just to one another, but also to our community. Freedom, if you've picked up anything from this message, is not free. Everyone who has been given much, much will be required. No matter where you come from, no matter what you have done or left undone, you all have the opportunity to be grateful and to live lives that are within holy boundaries of the Word of God. So let us, in 2017, display our thanksgiving to God by how we think about God and how we live our lives for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pray with me. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, the courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom 
to know the difference. Lord, we give you praise, honor, and glory for being God all by yourself. You do not need our help. You don't need our advice. You do not need our counsel. You are the sin qua non. You are that without which there is nothing. And we thank you that in Jesus, we have the opportunity to be right before you, for you to call us friend, for you to send your Holy Spirit into our lives individually that we might be able to please you with how we live. God, I pray that for Central Wesleyan, that we in 2017 ramp up our commitment to be in the world, but not of the world. That we ramp up our commitment to be people who can help those who are in need. God, and I pray for those people who maybe they heard the gospel for the first time today. Maybe they have some more questions about faith, but they're like, you know what? There's something to this Jesus, and, and they want to enter into the community of faith. Would you put people around them uh, from this fellowship, from, from, from other places, other interactions what they have, that they have? God, would you allow us to come alongside them and nurture their faith? No matter their age, no matter their background, no matter their situation, God, would you equip us to be your hands and feet? We put all this in the matchless name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the people of God said, Amen.